Hello, everybody, and welcome to Changemakers from Within, a podcast about the everyday heroes who are turning their for-profit businesses into socially responsible workplaces. I'm your host, Rachel Klausner, and I'm the founder and CEO of Millie, a social impact platform for companies of all sizes. We all know that Tom Cochran song that goes, life is a highway, I want to ride it all night long. But if you've been listening to Changemakers from Within for a while, you'll know that for a lot of people on the show, myself included, life has been much more like a series of winding back roads, and the journey to working in social impact is rarely straightforward and can be filled with lots of twists and turns. That was certainly the case for our guest today, Kat Owsley, who's the president of the Bosch Community Fund, which is the corporate foundation associated with Bosch in North America. After getting a degree in economics and business administration from Kalamazoo College, Kat got a job as a research assistant at the American Medical Association. But she eventually left her job to go backpacking in Ireland and ended up going to graduate school there. You know, I thought I was going to be an attorney or a history professor. During her master's program, Kat returned to Michigan at one point to work on her thesis. Because a lot of the materials I needed at the time were at Michigan. And then I stuck my thesis in a FedEx and I needed to work until I went back to Belfast to graduate. And here's the irony, I used to do a lot of temping to make my way through the world. Like it was such a great way to make money. And I temped at Bosch. A friend of mine was working there and she's like, "Come, come to Bosch, it's a great company. And so I did, I temped there for like three months. It was great, I loved my boss. He wanted me to stay, but I was like, oh no, no, I, I gotta go. So I went back to Belfast, I graduated and I moved to California and um, I got the first job I got, of course, was in a nonprofit. I was working for the American Academy of Ophthalmology. And I was there for a little while, and then I had friends starting to sort of like try to recruit me back to Detroit. And this job at the Detroit Regional Chamber came up, and I thought, that's, that's for me, I'm supposed to go back. That job was very R&D, survey, data related, a lot about program and product development. But I feel like I kind of grew up in that job because I also started to do a lot with community outreach and working with different chambers of commerce, outstate, in the region, ethnically based chambers. And um, I really enjoyed that. So I was sort of like having one foot in this sort of data area, analytical area, and one foot sort of in this community engagement and communications. And It really suits my personality, I got to say, because I like to be kind of off by myself sometimes doing that work. And then in other instances, I really enjoy the people part. And from there, um, I went to work for Etzel Ford, and he was our chair for an initiative in Detroit called 1D, which was a regional transformation program focusing on data again and, and outreach. And then from there, I went to the Kresge Foundation. That segued really nicely to work at the Detroit team at Kresge where again, I was doing a lot around project management and outreach and grant making. And from there I went to Bosch. And like I said, it's been nine years, so it's hard to believe time's gone by so fast. I still have a ton of love for Ireland and for history, but I know my place. It's like this is where I was supposed to be, like nonprofit and community engagement is really is really my jam. Kat became president of the Bosch Community Fund seven months after it was established. I was talking to somebody about the job and and they were saying like, you know, get, you know, you know, talk to the hiring manager. And so we had coffee and he said, listen, this is a really unique opportunity in that you would be starting and building a foundation, but you'd be doing it inside of a highly reputable, established, stable company. Like who gets to do that? 
So that was pretty fantastic. I mean, and it I really it really was sort of a once in a lifetime opportunity. So um, that was wonderful. And then from there, you know, you get to you get to build it all. You know, everything has to be done. So from soup to nuts. Yeah. What were those first bunch of steps like? Like, what was that first year like? What were you What were you working on? I remember sitting in an office, um, and I had like paper taped to the wall, and just starting to draw out strategy and to dos, and being alone. <laughs> I was by myself, and um, and really, it was about kind of making lots of different things happen all at once. Like I needed staff. I needed to build out the strategy. I needed to start thinking about, you know, what kind of database we would use. How, you know, as I said, I was a data person, you know, in my beginning. And, you know, it's like a dream for a person to have a clean data set. So I thought, I can't mess this up and I got to do it right the first time. So you're kind of trying to push all of these different, you know, pieces of the puzzle forward at the same time. But I just remember those early days thinking like, I don't want to rush into making any grants. I want to get my, you know, my house in order first. It got a little lonely because you're new. I was new to the company and then this initiative was new, right? So people are sort of like, who's that person? Why is she drawing on her walls? And I, I went out on a lot of um, like go, go and learn, you know, just listen and learn like a tour almost. Talking to people in nonprofit, talking to people who knew corporate foundations and who also knew the, the issue areas and just trying to like soak up as much information as possible. And then I started to go back and synthesize it and figure out how does this apply to what we need to do at Bosch Community Fund. So it was it was lonely. It was a, like drinking from the fire hoses. M- many people say when they start a new job. Um, but, you know, you just have to pace yourself and sort of figure out what do we need to get done the first 60, 90, six months, one year. And that helps out just to kind of know, you know, you're pacing along. The Bosch Community Fund has three focus areas. The first is STEM education. The second is environmental sustainability. And third is Eco Plus STEM, which is a combination of the two, where Bosch provides grants to support STEM education with an environmental component to it. So those focus areas were chosen before I got in the door. So that was one of the things that was established. And it made sense just because Bosch being, you know, we're an Internet of Things company. We're technology, manufacturing, engineering. And, of course, we want to be able to support STEM education because we're thinking about, you know, these kids could end up becoming our associates one day. And then the environmental piece was really because of, I don't know if you're familiar with our tagline, but it's invented for life. And so that means for us kind of twofold. One, products that last and are quality products, but also we care about sustainability. And we declared carbon neutrality as a global company in 2020. And so environment makes just makes sense. So they're just really reflective, I think, of our values as a corporation. In the nine years since Kat started working at the foundation, it's grown in pretty much every way possible. I told you I was alone. (laughs) Now we have a team. We have community advisory committees or kind of establishments, if you will, in 45 communities across North America. So we are in Costa Rica, Canada, and the United States, and then, you know, in 45 places. So that's huge. We've also grown in that we've gone from, you know, making $0 investments all the way up to $5 million annually. So that's big for us. You know, one of our big big steps in kind of growing up was establishing key performance indicators that we did with the Johnson Center for Philanthropy at Grand Valley State. And then I think another big milestone would be obviously everything from having a portal and making sure that our user experience is just really good, easy, not burdensome, helpful for both, you know, the grant seeker and us as the grant makers. 
And then, you know, really kind of growing up too in terms of how we communicate the messages about what the foundation's doing. So, I mean, just in so many different ways, just, you know, we've moved past our toddlership now and we're probably a big kid. (laughs) Bosch has a pretty unique social impact setup. The company does have a CSR team, but they operate separately from the Bosch Community Fund. You know, I'm not a part of anybody else's um, sort of, you know, strategic plan. It's really meant to show and to be that the foundation supports community for the sake of supporting community and doing good philanthropic work. But we do really a lot of collaborations with other um, divisions. So we, we really work closely with HR and then we work closely with our associates in CSR. And we kind of refer to ourselves as sort of like a brother, sister, sister, sister initiative. Like there's a lot of walking hand in hand on, on programs and projects, but also there's a little picket fence, you know, a friendly picket fence between us because we are separate. So for us, that works out really well. And I can only think of a handful of other companies that operate that way. But my sense is we might see more, um, more foundations starting and still having corporate contributions in CSR, but having them be connected, but not necessarily integrated. Tell us a little bit about what that breakdown is. So there's the CSR department. Do they mostly work internally? Like what's the difference in what you guys are doing every day? I would say one, we are, we are traditional foundations. So we are doing grant making and we are doing a lot of community engagement and conversations in order to determine what our best grants could be. CSR, on the other hand, is doing a couple things. One, they're sort of an umbrella. So they're sort of bringing together themselves the foundation, uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion, and, and kind of pulling us all together. And then they're most of the time responsible for then pulling together data and sharing that with Germany for our overall CSR report. Um, and then the other piece that they're doing would be around the volunteerism. So supporting volunteer development, supporting the platform for logging volunteerism, kind of acting as a conduit and a repository for information as it relates to what's happening in volunteerism around um, our region. And then um, they're also doing, they'll do some of the types of things like sponsorships, whereas we'll be making grant type investments. So that's where we would differ. My favorite story of my time at Bosch, I have to say, is I have a very enthusiastic partner at the Anderson plant in South Carolina. And he he's exactly what you want in terms of somebody to, to collaborate with. And he loves it when we come every year to Anderson because he's from that area. And so he's very passionate about the community. And when I come down and we start talking to people and we get ready to make grants, he said um, one time, he said, I love me some BCF money, you know, in his awesome Southern accent. (laughs) And I kept on using the quote because it was so fantastic. And so um, fast forward, we're in Southern California and it's our annual executives conference. And I got asked, I was one of four people to do a TED style talk. And, um, you know, this is in front of everybody. And our chair at the time um, came over from Germany. And so you have all these, like, really kind of VIP level people in the audience. And I get up there and I have it on the screen about, like, the testimonials, you know, of our of our work. And one says, I love me some BCF money. And it's the person's name. And so someone <laughs> in the audience was there who knew him. And they took a picture. And they're like, Kat, honestly, just outed you in front of this entire room full of people. And um, and he was like, did you really do that? I said, I did, because you encapsulate exactly what we want out of this, right? You're excited, you have this effervescent personality, and you are appreciative and love this, and you're just a joy to work with. And that is 
for me, that's why I get up in the morning and do it, to work with people like him. Kat says that there are definitely benefits to the way that Bosch has its social impact system set up. I think the pros are that you get everything, right? You still have a corporate contributions that has a little bit more freedom as it relates to the benefits back to the company with the IRS, right? So with us, we're very, we have to be very careful because we're a foundation, so there can't be benefit back to the company. We have to be very careful. Um, but we're making those grants that are, you know, supporting community for the sake of community. And that's great. With CSR and corporate contributions being combined, they have a little bit more leeway. I would say it's really helpful to have it separate, but to have a large degree of collaboration. I can't speak to what it would be like at a company where it's already integrated, but I can tell you this, that I, I, that's what really interested me about the job is that the foundation was autonomous. Um, because you can tell with some of the colleagues I've spoken with over the years, it's hard to sort of unpack things when you have a foundation that might not operate autonomously and a lot of the grant making or a lot of the investments or a lot of the partnerships happen without a strong strategy and it's related maybe to an individual, you know, because, you know, Miss Jones was really interested in pets, like this is what they were doing. But then when she left, you know, Mr. Smith was interested in something that was related to you know, youth and outdoors. And so we really do have a strategy that's not connected to an individual. It's connected to the company. You know, so I would say that's kind of the nice thing about the separation is that you can sort of keep it, you know, as clean as possible. And then on the corporate contribution side, that might take on a little bit more of the flavor of, you know, what's happening in terms of who's with the company, but also can support and back up what's happening on the foundation and vice versa. But don't get the wrong idea. Running an autonomous corporate foundation certainly has its own set of difficulties. And the challenge for me is I, you know, I want people to kind of come along on this journey with us. And I think the hardest part with a, um, unlike a CSR, when you're doing volunteerism with the corporate foundation, it's hard to kind of bring everybody along in the work, right? So the best ways to do that are, as I was saying, like we have connections at each of the 45 communities where we work, um, but not everybody can sort of actively participate in the day-to-day of the foundation. And so the communications becomes extremely important because you want people to know what you're doing on behalf of the company. You want them to have pride in it. And so we do that. Like that's something that, you know, we work on all the time is just to be sure that people are aware of it, they feel good about it, and when they can, they can be a part of it. But it, that remains a challenge. And, and I, I often wonder if other corporate foundations feel the same way, like just, you know, how do you um, help people to sort of feel like they're a part of the work? Yeah, I, I can imagine that, that that feels like a very daunting challenge, especially as your team is so large in so many different locations and probably in a lot of different capacities, right? You, have, you probably have people on the floor in manufacturing and you also have people at their desk. And so there's like all these different types of communication that work for different types and groups of folks. So I can imagine that that is a very challenging piece to this. And thanks for saying that, Rachel, because it is such a diverse company that way, right? So we do have people that are working in manufacturing. We do have people who are traveling. You know, the other, the other thing that I think about is, you know, we're all being communicated to so much in our daily lives with personal and professional communications. You don't want to be, you know, more sound, but you also want to make sure that you're sharing information. So how do you do that in a thoughtful way? Because you want people to be aware, but you also are, you know, trying to be appreciative of the fact that they're trying to manage many communications coming at them. It really, there's such a fine balance. I, I, I find it... I, 
I've never had to deal with it being that I've always been at kind of smaller companies. And so there was no like, it was just like, if you had something to say, you just said it. And I can imagine that that's really hard at a large company because you can't just do that. Right. And it's like, what, what, what is that process? How often are we doing this? What's the cadence? Where does it fit in with all these other departments and their messaging that they're trying to get across? So kudos to you for managing that. Cause I think that that in and of itself is just such a hard piece of this. I was so excited to hear that you guys are involved in FIRST Robotics because they're just such a great organization. Um, you know, it's this international organization, for those that are listening, it's this international organization that hosts robotics competitions and, and other other educational programs for young people. Um, and I, I had the fortunate experience to be a part of it back in the day. Um, what does the partnership between Bosch and FIRST look like? Yeah, so it's a strong partnership that existed um, before I started, and um, our executive vice president of HR, Charlie Ackerman, is our is our executive champion of the program internally. So he feels very strong and passionate about first, and um, one of the main things that he felt very strongly about is that any team that we support has a Bosch mentor. So we're up to about fifty four teams that we support across North America. And so they would have at least a Bosch mentor, if not a couple Bosch mentors. And that's that that he felt very strongly about. Um, so that's kind of us on the team side. And then we're a strategic partner first as well. So some folks on the Bosch side do provide, you know, consultation from anything from strategy to diversity, equity and inclusion at first. Um, but it's been a strong, very um, a, a fruitful partnership, I'd say, for us at Bosch. That's awesome. I, I just think they're a great organization. And I was a counselor at a youth village in Israel, and it was um, mostly Ethiopian immigrants who had just almost just had landed from Ethiopia, had lived in small villages, like in mud huts type of situation, had never seen a lot of kind of technology that we just get used to, like elevators freak them out, ovens, like things that we just use all the time. Um, that was really crazy to them. And so we had this first robotics team at the youth village that I was like, uh, kind of a part of just helping on the side. And these kids were all these new immigrants, and they ended up, they went to the national, um, the national like event where it's like the, the national competition where you basically have to build a robot over the course of the year. They give you specifications on like what the robot is going to be playing. It's like a game and you have to build the robot to play the game. And so it's usually like a race and there's something in it and you have to like do something. It's super cool and it changes every year and everyone's like eager to find out what the, what that is. And so this team of immigrants who literally came from villages not using technology built this robot. They ended up coming in the actual like games, like the race, they ended up coming in second place to this like very fancy prep school. But then they won the creativity award, which allowed them to actually compete into the in the international competition, which was in Atlanta. Um, and it was crazy. It was the first time that they had like been on a plane outside of immigrating. And they it was it was just this amazing experience. And I just I have the best memories from first. I think it, it gave these kids opportunity that you never you never expect. And now a bunch of them actually are in the tech space. You know, one of them works as a technology person, um, like literally helping fix like trains in Jerusalem. Like it's it's really wild how it really trickled down into their careers. So I just I very much appreciate that, you know, even on a deeper level, this connection between Bosch and First, because it is it's truly an incredible organization. 
Your foundation also runs the Bosch Eco and STEM teacher grant program. Um, the program gives teachers grants that they can use to fund STEM and sustainability projects uh, for their students, which is incredible. How and why did this program get started? So this is our passion. You know, this is our signature program, Rachel, but I can't take credit for it. My my colleague, Kim Lindsay Fegan, was doing this prior to the foundation even existing. And when I got in, it was it was funny. I mean, we would just do it all in-house. Um, we started out very small. We would get together with all the applications and we would separately score them. And then we would have coffee at this coffee shop across the street from Bosch and talk about how we scored them. And now it's grown. We are partnered with the University of Michigan School of Education um, and their Center for Education, um, Evaluation, Design, Research. It's called CEDAR. And um, they have brought a new level of sophistication and refinement to the program. So we were looking for a partner that could help us bring it to scale. So start offering out to more of our school district partners across the um, across the nation, but also um, help us with everything from better application process, better scoring process, um, providing wraparound services for teachers like they'll do writing jams so that teachers have some other teachers to write with in terms of their grant application. So they've just brought a great, you know, kind of new thinking to this program. And really, this is where our board wanted us to be, like supporting teachers. We knew and the impetus behind this program, and it still exists today, is that teachers are spending money out of pocket to do great things in the classroom for students. And we knew that a lot of times it was around project-based learning. And um, we we wanted to just step up and and be there for teachers in that way. And so these are $1,000 grants for teachers to do project-based learning in EcoSTEM. And we're always amazed by how that money is stretched by teachers, how many teachers will even say that what we were able to help support them with will last them for years to come because of how they invested that money in a particular curriculum or project-based learning format. So it's been fantastic and it grows every year. We're in 17 school districts for the 2020-2021 school year. Wow, that's amazing. It just... Teachers are so resourceful. Like, I'm not surprised that $1,000 can go such a long way. Like, if you throw $1,000 at a company, it's like a penny. Like, where did that money go? But if you give it to a teacher, like, it's truly incredible how much they can, how how far it can go, you know, and and that's amazing. Are there any stories to share about the trickle-down effects of any of those? Like, have you heard any on-the-ground stories of what teachers have done with it? So, yeah, particularly this year with teachers having to go remote so, you know, so quickly without a lot of preparation and teachers have just been, I think the big thing, Rachel, is that they appreciate being thought of, they appreciate being asked. Um, That's been the biggest piece, just really grateful to have, you know, to know that somebody's kind of got their back that way. And then we did a series called the Educator Series last summer where we just checked in with teachers to find out, hey, how did that go? You know, what did you learn when you had to go remote? And what were the obstacles? And what are things that you found as opportunities? And again, I think they just really appreciated being able to talk about it. Um, So more than anything, I think it's one, being asked to the money is great. And then three, um, you know, just having the opportunity to sort of have this network that they're now a part of and will always be a part of where they can get ideas around lessons, uh, you know, things to do in their classrooms with students around STEM and eco STEM. So it, it's really, it's really been very rewarding, I think, for us and we're happy to do it, but we're always so thrilled to to see that they're happy for it too. Do you have any advice for listeners who are looking to get involved in corporate philanthropy? 
You know, it's um, it's a a tough you know role to come across. It doesn't come um, available very often, I should say. But I guess my advice would be for people who are interested in corporate philanthropy: what companies are you interested in, and why? And really focus on those. Because, you know, to be honest with you, that's how I got my first job. Like there was a company I wanted to work for and I just, I was on them all the time, like hire me, hire me, hire me until they finally did. Um, but I think, you know, having, having been on the side of being an interviewer many times now in my life, you really want to know that the person's interested specifically, not only in that work, but in that work at that company. And so I guess my advice would be identify the companies where you think you would like to do it and, and see if you can have conversations and just put yourself out there and let them know you're interested um, and that people know that you're, that are in your network, that you, you're on the you know, lookout for these types of roles. I love that. And I think you're so right. Like as, a, as someone who hires, I always hire less about like all the qualifications and it's more about like, are you so deeply passionate about us and what we're doing? Like, it's just, it just comes across so much better. Like you could have seven, eight, nine more years of experience, but if you're not on the call feeling like, oh man, this, like if I don't feel your energy about what we're doing, like it's not going to work because, you know, it, there are so many people applying for jobs and, you know, especially in corporate philanthropy, it's, you know, like you said, very few jobs come up every, you know, it's every few years you'll see something in your city that, you know, and so you have to be really, you know, gung-ho almost about those companies because that that is what will set you apart. If you could go back in time and talk to your younger self, you know, when you were getting started in your social impact journey, kind of what would you say to yourself? Trust your gut, Rachel, you know? I don't know if you feel that way yourself, but man, nine times out of 10 and you like ruminate and second guess over something and in the end, you come back to where you were in the beginning, like what your gut told you. Like I would say that. And, you know, it takes a long time to get there. I'm still doing it. And, you know, I, I guess the other piece of it, too, is just to have faith. You know, um, I've been lucky that everything that um, I have done in my career, I've enjoyed it. And I feel lucky to, that I've worked with the people I've worked with and got to do some of the things that I've done. And, you know, to look back and tell my younger self, like, you just have to have faith. It's all going to work itself out, you know, because you just don't know in the beginning and you don't know if you should trust your gut and, you're a little wobbly when you start out, right? But at the end of the day, you really do need to trust yourself. And and if you have faith in it and you put your whole self into it, it tends to work out. I love that. I always say I the first bunch of years I remember after college, you just, you're kind of like flailing a little bit and you just don't, you think every decision that you make is like the end all and be all and you're always second guessing yourself and you're, and I just feel like I, that is the, per, those are the perfect two tips, right? It's like, your gut is always right. Almost always right. You know, it's like, just go with that first instinct that you had because it will almost always be the best. And if it's not, it's okay. You know, it's like, not every decision is this long term you know, like stamp of like, I'm done, you know, it's life is so is moving at this really fast pace. And um, the decisions we make, it's okay, like, it's okay, if it's wrong, but also like, you do know yourself and you do know, usually your gut is right. Um, I love that. I feel like definitely as a founder, (laughs) I felt that way at the beginning. I I, it was like back to being post college, because as a founder, I was like doubting myself, like, am I doing this right? Am I building this the right way? Am I hiring the right people? Like at the beginning, you're asking yourself these same questions and having that self-doubt. But ultimately, all the initial gut, like 
that that initial gut feeling was just right each time when we made those difficult decisions or when we hired someone or whatever. And yeah, agreed on all fronts. I love that. Someone told me once, you're not going to necessarily be climbing vertically all the time. You're going to rock climb. So you're going to go off to the side a little bit. And, you know, me cashing out my 401k at the American Medical Association, I went backpacking in Ireland and then ended up going to grad school there. You know, I thought I was going to be an attorney or a history professor. And then I found myself back in nonprofit. But when I was interviewing with Edsel Ford for the 1D job, that's one of the things he liked about me, that I had this, like, really rare and different kind of degree that you don't see every day and the reasons behind it. And so... A lot of people questioned me about that decision to kind of quit and go overseas and, and do graduate school, and I did. Um, but it paid dividends personally, and, and it did professionally as well. So I think you you know you don't necessarily end up taking this journey that's very linear as you expect to, and I think you're sort of brought up to think you will. Yeah, one hundred percent. I love that rock climbing reference because I think it's so true. Like no one's climbing up a ladder. There's no ladders. <laughs> this is like create your own little like you know, place in the rock, find it and like latch on for dear life because like you're just, no one's going straight up, right? We're going in so many different directions. And, you know, if I think back on my journey, like I, you know, I I have this like amazing dream job now where I get to like build something from scratch, which is so fun around impact. It's like, this is my dream. But had you told me that I would have taken all those steps that I did to get here, like not at all. I ended up, I designed software for eight years and I, didn't study how to design software in school. It was just like the first job that stumbled. Like, it's just, you just don't know. You don't know what you end up doing and and it ends up all working out for the best. Um, But yeah, I love that piece of advice because people take such different journeys. (laughs) What's your vision for the next 10 years of the community fund? And, And what are you thinking about in terms of like where you want this to go? You know, I guess I would say, um, you know, we want to continue to grow in all ways, right? Just being the top of our game. We, we're competitive. We want to be a, a foundation that other corporate foundations sort of benchmark themselves against. I mean, that's really the, the bogey for us. Um, you know, I would also say, too, we really want as much as we can, particularly around the eco-stem piece, I think. And we have a lot of passion, um, particularly with one of our trustees, who is head of health, safety, and environment for Bosch in North America, seeing as much of that kind of eco-STEM happen as possible, because for us, that means that not only are students learning about environmental sciences and they're getting their STEM, but they are also at the same time becoming stewards of the environment and thinking about conservation and sustainability. So I think that's going to be really big for us in the next 10 years. And if we can influence kids And if we can influence other companies and even just how we all operate in the world um, with an eye towards sustainability, that would be a big thing for for Bosch and Bosch Community Fund, I'd say. That's awesome. I'm super excited. I'm I'm excited to watch this journey and watch you build out all these programs and continue and see the trickle down effects in, you know, with the teachers, with these students, with FIRST, you know, in all the many ways that you guys impact the community. I'm excited to continue watching your journey. So thanks so much for being a part of it, Kat. Thank you so much, Rachel. So much fun. I appreciate it. Changemakers from Within is a production of Millie, the charitable giving platform that helps for-profit companies build cultures of giving. If you're looking to jumpstart social responsibility initiatives at your workplace and don't know where to start, check us out at milligiving.com. 